Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. I was thinking about what we just sang and, and uh, even just thinking about Kim's testimony of, of, of being able to do things even though uh, things, things are different. And I was thinking about what we just sang, who can stop the Lord Almighty? I think it bears repeating this morning because of all of the things that are going on around us that the answer to that question of who can stop the Lord Almighty, the answer to that question is, is not a virus, not distance, not injustice, not riots, not legislation, not fires, not authorities, nor powers, not systems, not anything that exists. No one can stop the Lord Almighty. And the Lord Almighty is on the move, whether you feel him moving or not. God's power and might is most evident when there is nothing left for us to hope in. Because it is at that point that we see him as our only and rightful and dependable hope. This morning, wherever you are, however you've joined us, whatever state of mind you're in, whatever state of heart you're in, our prayer is that this morning you will be encouraged and reminded of God's faithfulness and his character. Um, Before I get into our passage this morning, I, 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 heard, I heard a rumor. I heard a rumor that, that I had uh, the coronavirus. Um, and I know that, that there are a few people were, were, have, have, have actually um, congratulated me on getting better. But actually, I never did have uh, the virus. Um, I was actually on vacation. Um, and I don't think those two things really coincide. Uh, but um, while on vacation... Um, I saw, I saw a shirt which, which gave me great joy, um, and uh, it was this, this couple, and they were both wearing the same shirt, and um, I don't usually get in uh, much to politics, but um, it was a political shirt for the 2020 election, and their shirts said, Kenobi 2020, our only hope. And I really wanted to say at that moment, as I saw that, I wanted to go, Kenobi! But anyway, um, for those of you who didn't get that, that's okay. For those of you who did, you're really appreciating me at this moment. Um, Like Kyle Belden um, appreciates what I did and um, looked maybe foolish doing it. But anyway, um, you know, it's interesting as we think about um, maybe going on vacation or doing things. We do those things in order to create memories with with whether it's our families or the people that we, we do things like that with. And it's always important to come back to those things and remember those things because they remind us of our values, they remind us of who we are and those kinds of things. And and it's interesting because memory is actually the foundation of culture and identity and it is this enhanced capacity to remember or memory that actually separates us from all other living creatures, that really, in, in, in the way we experience memories, it is different than any other living creature that exists. Human beings experience memory different. And, and likely, it's connected with the fact that we are image bearers, that God remembers and we remember because we share his image, that he shared his image with us. 
And it's interesting because our identity and our memories go kind of hand in hand. In fact, our, there's been all these studies and things done that, that identity is rooted in knowing and remembering our origin and our history. Our identity and meaning are strengthened when we gather and share our stories with one another. And I think this is something that's really important because there's a lot of talk about identity in today's society and culture and just globally. There's things called identity politics. There's, there's this all, all kinds of talk about uh, what my true identity is. And, and there's all of these things out there that we're wrestling with today and, and people are talking about and, and changing their identity or, or getting in touch with their identity and all of these things. And here's the reality. We actually need to go all the way back to our origin and our history to understand and remember our true identity. Because the reality is that we, we don't get to choose an identity. Our identity is given to us by God when he created us with all of the love that he had. And so it is important to remember things in the past. We don't just move on from the past and forget about the past, but it's important to remember things, both good things and hard things. And there's a reality that we shouldn't get stuck in the past, but we also don't want to get stalled in the present. Because if we're only focusing on the present, then whatever is happening currently, which there's a lot of things happening currently, if we get stalled in the present of what's happening, we miss the promises that were made in the past. And so we have to remember those things. So if you have your Bibles handy, I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. And when we started our series in, in, in 2 Peter, Kyle kind of kicked us off. And in chapter 1, he said, he said this. He said, Peter wants to pump you up by way of reminder, remembering that you have experienced Jesus. And here in chapter 3, he does the same thing. He, he says, I want to come back to this, this memory thing. And I want you to remember, not only do I want you to remember what you've experienced through Jesus, but I also want to add to your memory, remind you what that same Jesus has promised. And, and so in, in chapter three, he, he begins, and in, in, in just reading the first couple verses, he says, he says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. He says, okay, I've, I've written to you before. This is the second letter, the second time I've specifically communicated to you. And he says, in both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. He gives his, his intention of this letter. He wants to be very forthright and, and clear as to what his intention is. That he is writing to them to stir up, to stir them up, to stir their, their sincere mind by way of reminder, chapter, verse 2, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Here, here's, 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 where, here's what he says. He says, I want you to remember what God promised through Christ Jesus. And so he says, I'm, I'm stirring up your sincere mind. And, and when he says that your sincere mind, he's talking about this, this idea of sincerity is wholeness, uncontaminated, unmixed, free from anything apart 
from Jesus and the message of Christ. That Jesus' words would stand alone in your mind above and beyond all other things. And, and see, here's the reality. He says he's stirring up. Whatever you do, whatever we do, we stir things up. No matter what we say, even if you don't intend to stir something up, we still stir things up. Paul says, here's what I want to stir up in you. I want to stir up in you your memories of what Jesus said. And I guess the question for us this morning is by your behavior, by our behavior, by the words that we use, by the positions we take, by the things we focus on, what are we stirring other people up to? Are we like Paul stirring people up to remember the words of Jesus or are we stirring people up to something else? Maybe it's stirring them up to Jesus plus something else or something else entirely from Jesus. But here's the thing, everything you and I do because we live in an age of influence and that everyone has some kind of following that you are stirring people up to something. The question is, what are you stirring them up to? The most important thing that we can be doing is stirring people up to remember the words and the promises of Jesus. And he goes on. He says in verse three, knowing this first of all, knowing that in the light of remembering the promises of Jesus, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. That scoffers will come, and, 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 and as we read through this, uh, the last couple of weeks, Travis has been in, in chapter two and talking much about false teachers. And now he throws in this word, scoffers will come in the last days. Scoffers and those false teachers kind of go hand in hand. And he says that, that there, will be, there will be false teachers and scoffers who are interested in stirring up trouble and falsehood Whereas Peter calls us and says he is and he calls us to stir up memories of Jesus and his promises. And, and so, and so he, he talks and he says that in the last days there will scoffers come with scoffing. And here's, here's in particularly in those days what those scoffers and false teachers were talking about. In particular, he says in verse four, they will say, where is the promise of Jesus Return, his coming. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. See, here's, here's the reality. If we are not stirring people up to remember the words and the promises of Jesus, there is a, there is a crack in the door that sin can step into and that our own sinful desires can be the driver in how we are stirring others up. And, and so he says, he says that be careful because, because scoffers will come and we don't want to be characterized similarly to the scoffers who are allowing their sinful desires to drive their messages, their emotions, their conversation. And, and so he says, what these scoffers, what these false teachers were talking about in that day, they were saying, you know what? Jesus isn't coming back. 
He says, that's, he's not coming back. That, 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 that you know, it, either you've, you've, he's already come back and it was a different kind of return than you thought it was, or he's just not coming. Like the God, God didn't mean that Jesus was coming back or the promises of God aren't actually as sure and absolute as you'd like to believe they are. And, and so Peter begins to describe what they are doing, what these scoffers and false teachers are, are doing, how we can kind of identify a false teacher or a scoffer. And, and Travis has done an incredible job of kind of walking through that the last couple of weeks. But, but, but here's, here's, what, here's what, what he says. He says, he says that they're following their own sinful desires in verse four. He says, they will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. The idea that, that God doesn't involve himself in human history, that we really are the masters of our own fate. God isn't, he doesn't see, when, when there's injustice, God is kind of like, well, I guess that's how it goes. And that God doesn't really involve himself. And that this idea of Jesus returning and making everything right, that just isn't gonna happen because we see things just kind of, it, it, it flows as it flows. It's, it's kind of, it's a rolling stone and it, it just moves down the hill without any interruption. It says in verse five, for they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. By the same word, the heavens and earth that now existed are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And so he goes on and he says, he says this, he says, he says, look, I want you to understand that, that those who, who scoff at the promises of God and God's word and those who actively are teaching falsehoods, they can be identified. They can be identified by, by how their message comes across, how they communicate. And, and here's, in those verses that I just read, here's some, here's some characteristics that, that are shared by false teachers and scoffers. The, the, those characteristics are this. One, first of all, is that scoffers or false teachers, they follow their heart or their gut or their desire, passion, their eyes, their ambition. And all of that comes down to sin in verse three, that they are driven by sin. You see, our hearts, our gut feelings, our desires, our passions, our eyes, our ambitions, they are all because of, of the, our fallen nature and in a sin-drenched world, all of those things are so subject to sin. When people say, follow your heart, scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things. And, and, and so we've got to recognize that, that what we see all around us today are teachers and, and scoffers who are saying things like, follow your heart or follow your gut or, or whatever your desire is, your passion, that is the ultimate highest good. Whatever your eyes see and they find desirable, go after, and all of those things 
come from a place of sin, when they are not surrendered to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. So not only do they follow their heart or their gut desires, passion, they follow sin, but secondly, they use human logic over biblical witness. In verse four, he, he says that, that, that basically these people in that day who are teaching that the, Jesus is not gonna return, he says that they, they have, there's a denial of God's sovereignty over the world. They say, you know, since, since our forefathers have died, nothing's changed. The world keeps turning. Day turns into night and night turns into day and day turns into night. And, and where is God in all of this? There's a denial of God's sovereignty over the world. And, and not only that, but there's a denial of God's involvement or God's purpose in human affairs. Think about how prevalent that is today because we control our own destiny. When it comes to who we believe ourselves to be, we choose our own identity. And so the denial of God's sovereignty over the world and the denial of his involvement in the world. And then they say there's, there's this delay in, in, in the promise of Jesus returning. And so delay means that God's promises are broken or they're not dependable. Because all this time, Jesus hasn't come back. So, so this delay it's taking too long. How many times have, have we done something where someone has given us instruction and then, and then we, we say, okay, well, this is taking too long and we go do something and, and, and don't actually follow through with what we've been told and we realize after the fact that that was a mistake. That's the mistake of every character in every movie who's told to stay, wait in the car, right? Like every single time. They say it's taking too long, and so they go, and they, and they make a bigger mess, but it, the movie would be over had they stayed in the car, so I guess it makes better movies when you don't listen to what you were told, but, but, but they deny that. And, and, then, and then thirdly, not only do they follow their heart or, or follow sin, essentially, they, not only do they use human logic over the biblical witness, but they also ignore the problem passages. They say God doesn't involve himself. The world turns on its own. But as, as Peter says in verses five and six and seven, he says, but do you not remember that when, when sin got to a point, as God waited patiently, God filled the earth with water that wiped all but Noah's family out and he began again. Is the flood not enough evidence that God involves himself in human history? Have you forgotten that there was a flood? And have you forgotten that there's, there's a promise that God will destroy, he will renew and destroy and renew the earth through fire one day? Which is why I know that while we're living in a time of, of, of unprecedented fires throughout the West Coast, I know that the, 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 we're not gonna burn up because it's not that time yet. And so, and so by ignoring things that we've seen God interact, and, and when we say, no, no, God doesn't involve himself in human, human affairs, by ignoring that, those people move toward denying that, the, that, that there is going to be a final day of God 
reckoning and God making all things right and holding every single person accountable for every single thing they did and they said. And we see this today in so many ways. We even see good people saying something that they see in the Bible but ignoring things that actually give context or give the bigger picture to what that is. And while those people may not be false teachers, they seem to be having some characteristics that are similar to scoffers. You see, we have the same susceptibility as those false teachers and scoffers when we think too highly of ourselves and our thoughts and our logic and our opinions, which we are warned against in Scripture not to think too highly of our own thoughts and opinions and preferences. We're warned in Scripture not to do that. And so when we go and think too highly of ourselves, we face the same susceptibility as those false teachers and scoffers and it is a very short fall to end up reflecting them and the spirit that they had. God constantly talks about humility of his people. I was talking with some people not long ago about how is it that today, like today, in today's situation and culture and environment, how is it that two seemingly Jesus followers have completely opposite and unmoving opinions about what God is saying <laughs> or about what scripture says about what we should do. How is it that, that you can have a person who, who you, you've trusted here and you've trusted here and they're saying opposite messages? How can two people hear differently from the Holy Spirit as they say, you know, this is, where, this is what the Holy Spirit's saying? And I think it comes down to humility. Because when we start to think too highly of ourselves, we begin to think that God always agrees with us. And here's the thing that I would ask you to do, ask you to, to examine in your own life. When you think strongly about something and you take that to God, do you typically hear the Holy Spirit in your life say, yeah, right on, Matt, you are exactly right, and, and we're gonna go on that. Or when you go to God with a strong opinion and preference and ideas and thought process, do you hear from the Holy Spirit saying, Matt, hold on. We're not going to talk about whether you're right or wrong, but you need to change before anything else. Honestly, in my life, the times that I've went to God and said, this is what I know that you're saying we're supposed to do. The Holy Spirit will always move in me first and caution and hit the brakes and hit pause. More often for me, God says, no, no, this is about you changing, not about you being right. If I live my life thinking that I am 95% in step with the Holy Spirit, I'm deceived. Because there's no one, there's no, there's no one in scripture that looked like that. We need to recognize that, 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 that the things that we trust so deeply, our minds and our hearts and our guts, 
and our ability to interpret what God wants is far short of excellent. So we need to recognize that God is working in us. And, and here, as, as we look at verse eight, here's something that's, that I think is, for me at least, pretty convicting. Verse eight, listen to what, what Peter writes. He says, but do not overlook this one fact. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Here, here's something that we need to understand about God's character. One, we need to understand that, that God does not experience time the way we experience God, a thousand, as he says, a thousand days, it's like a day, a day is like a thousand years. And, and he basically, what he's saying is, is simply this, that, that our idea of time and how quickly things should happen or, or how long we should wait, that doesn't even compute with God. God has a very different understanding and experience and view of time. So when we say it's taking too long, Rarely is God say it's taking too long. Or when we say uh, that was way too quick, very rarely does God say that was way too quick. Now it's not that, that, that we, we are completely other than God when it comes to time because we do bear his image. We share his image. And so when you think about it, when you, maybe, maybe one way to think about God's experience and concept of time is, is as we get older, as we age, and, and, I, and, I, and, and everyone kind of experiences this, the older we get, the faster time seems to go, doesn't it? You know, as you get older, you start to say, man, the years go by so much quicker. I can't believe it's Christmas already. I can't believe this. I can't believe... And, and, and time seems to go faster because we have a better perspective, a wider range to compare time with. And think about how God exists beyond time. God was never created. He will never end. That God is eternal. Imagine how fast time flies for God. <laughs> and the other thing that I think is interesting that we share, that we may share with God or God has implanted into us, isn't it interesting that, that our experience of the world around us affects how we experience time. Like if you're bored or you're experiencing something you don't like, doesn't it feel like time takes forever? I mean, when people are bored, they say, oh, this is so boring and, and just this is dragging and dragging. But it's interesting that when we are, 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 are characterized by joy, that time flies by, doesn't it? When you're enjoying something, when you are thankful and grateful and loving something, that it seems like, man, this is going so, it's just, you think, I just want time to slow down because I, don't, I, I want this to last. But when we have joy, it seems like it goes so fast. And it's so interesting how, how time seems to ebb and flow for us in our experience of it. There are areas of time that we share with God and areas that we cannot share. 
And we are appallingly bad at evaluating duration because we are incapable of experiencing time like God, but we can get glimpses of how God sees it and we can trust that he is doing good in the midst of it. And, and so, 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 so Peter points out that, you know what, you who are saying, you know, it's too long, it's, there's been a delay, I don't think God's gonna keep his promises. He says, no, you don't understand time. It hasn't been too long. Maybe for you, you feel like it's been too long, but it hasn't. And then he goes on, and, and again, as, as I read in verse nine, he says this. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. I want to tell you this, and this is something that, that I struggled with as I, as I worked through this. Patience is the primary product of God's love. Patience is the primary product of God's love. You see, God loves us so much, he is willing to wait. He is patient so that we have an opportunity to respond to his invitation. Slow and patient are two very different concepts. Slow is that someone is just moving slow and they're operating at, a, at this low speed. Not quick or fast, but patient accepts and it tolerates perceived delays and problems or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. Think about that for a second. Patience is enduring or accepting delays, problems, or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. That is who God is. And that's who he calls us to be, but we don't reflect him very well with that. Because, uh, because how often do we exhibit annoyance or anxiousness when delays or problems or sufferings happen? I am, I am a king offender in this because when there is a delay, when I am going somewhere or trying to do something, I immediately get annoyed and frustrated and angry. I don't reflect Jesus well, the character of God well in that area. But you see, God has a very sober love. God knows that not everyone will surrender to Jesus Christ. But even in that, God longs for all to come to repentance. And God will enduringly wait until every opportunity is gone for a human being to respond to the invitation of Jesus. That is God's enduring love that is sober and is hopeful and recognizes that not everyone will come to Christ in faith. But he does long for that. And you see, we should too. Is there anything that we could experience that is too long for us to experience to take away an opportunity for someone to, to, to express faith in Jesus Christ? 
How do I look in light of God's enduring love? How long am I or how long are you willing to wait for the Holy Spirit to move in someone towards salvation? How long am I willing to, to, to face disappointment and struggle and suffering and trials to allow what God is using around me to move someone to faith in Christ? In verse nine, he, he continues and he says this, he says, the, or, or in, in, verse, in verse 10, he says this, but the day of the Lord, going back to what these false teachers and scoffers were saying, that, that Jesus isn't coming back, to, to solve that contemporary argument, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It's so interesting that, that so many people talk about the return of Christ and that, that we're living in the end times and, and that these are all things and, and we can know and, and all of these things. And, and here's, here's what the Bible says about our understanding of the return of Christ. When Jesus comes back, he says that it will be like a thief. And I think he uses that really intentionally. And if you've never really thought through that, I want to give you a, maybe, a, maybe a mental image of, of what this is. And so, so imagine for a second living here that, 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 that home break-ins have risen to the point of 100%. That, 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 that the statistics of, let's say, and this isn't true, but let's say in Modesto that the statistics were, 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 were pending or they were going in a direction, they were trending in a direction that, there's a hundred, that there will be the likely, that there will be the absolute, uh, absolutely 100% of homes will be broken into by thieves. And so that's the statistic, that 100% of homes... Here's the reality. You will still be surprised and caught off guard when that happens to your home. Even if it's an 100% assurity that your home will be broken into. Because we can't watch that long. We won't be ready for it because that is the nature of a thief. They don't let you know when they're coming. And that's exactly what, what Peter says here is that when Jesus returns, it will be like a thief. We will know that he's coming back for sure. But there's a reality, is that we won't know when. And that when is such a, a, a different concept of time from us. Are we living in the last days? Yes. But those last days could, could last a year or a thousand years. Because that's how God sees time. And God is patient that everyone has opportunity to respond to his invitation. The key to our assurance of the return of Christ is to know and never forget that Jesus is coming back. And it's so interesting because the last part of verse 10, he says that all things will be exposed. Here's something that's interesting 
about the, the psychology and, and even the science of, 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 uh, of people, people's homes being invaded. After a break-in, we feel exposed. I don't know if you've ever had your car robbed or, or stolen or if you've had your house broken into, but, but there's this human feeling that, of exposure. And there's a lot of people who don't report things because of what's been exposed. There's things that we don't want people to know so we don't say anything about it, even though we've been wronged and violated. And there's a reality that when Jesus comes back, we will be exposed and there will be things that will be exposed in our houses that we would rather not be exposed. So the thing that we should be most about today is making sure that, that we have surrendered so much of our lives that there will be little exposure when Jesus comes back. And Jesus is even patient with you and I to allow us time to get our houses in order. Because he'll expose our thoughts and our behaviors, everything. And so while we as believers anticipate and look forward to the return of Christ, the second question to that is, do I fear what Jesus will expose or do I honestly have nothing to hide? And I can guarantee you that no person who has ever been born into humanity has nothing to hide. And so the challenge this morning is to remember and be hopeful and be confident in Jesus and what he's promised. In Revelation, verse 21, and in chapter 21, in verses 22 and 23, John writes this of what he saw in his vision. He says, and I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. Why is Jesus coming back? It's encapsulated in, in what I just read. You see, God's presence among his people has always been his heart. God's vision was not a building to belong in, but a people to walk among. And in this season of life, as we don't have a building to belong in, we have to remember that that was never God's intention, that his intention was to have a people to walk among. Right here, right now, is God seen among us by the people he's enduringly waiting for? That's why God has us here, to correct us, to remind us that he created us not to be a people to belong in a building, but for a people for God to walk among wherever they are. We need to remember that in times like these so that we don't give up. And we don't lose hope because God is walking among us. Two questions I want to leave with you this morning. 
Number one is this. If my life was evaluated today, would I be more characterized like the false teachers or like God? What would my life look like? What would characterize my life? The second question is this. Am I ready to be completely exposed? And the answer to that question for all of us is no. And so the follow-up is this. What is one step I can take today in the right direction? What is it that you can surrender today to Jesus that would then not have to be exposed when he returns? This morning, we're gonna share in communion and remember what Christ did. It's really fitting that today in today's passage, we celebrate communion to remember. And, and what we remember this morning is that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and submitted himself, surrendered himself to an evil and illegal process so that he could pay the penalty for our sins. And that night, Jesus was, was trying to explain to his disciples that, that he, will, he will shed his blood and his body will be broken for their salvation. That they are the reason he died. They're the cause for his death. And that's what we remember today, that Jesus gave up everything, holding back nothing, so that you and I could find forgiveness. And God is patiently waiting to expend every opportunity for every person so that they have that chance to be forgiven and made righteous before God. So, so as, as Travis leads us and sings, I want you to take the bread and, and, and the cup at home and I want you to remember what Jesus did. Maybe now is a good time for you to surrender the things that you've been holding on to. One less thing that Jesus will expose when he returns. And thank God that you have the time that he is patient with you and with me. And that he's patient for those that we love who don't know him yet. That's what we remember in communion. So this morning as, as Travis sings over us, Let's participate together, even though we're far away. And taking the body of Jesus, which was broken for us. And as you eat it, remember that he did that willingly. And, and as you take the cup and, and drink the cup that symbolizes the, the bread, the, the, the blood of Jesus, that covers my deepest and darkest sins that we have hope and that still in 2020, Jesus still is our only hope. No one else, but Jesus alone. Jesus, as we participate together in remembering what you've done, I pray that, that you would, would, would give us a moment to see through your eyes what's going on around us and that our response would be hope 
and gratitude and confidence that you are here and you are active. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.